Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep The Twelve Dancing Princesses. This is first published in German uh, in 1812 uh, under the name Children and Household Tales, I think. Um, collected by the Brothers Grimm. It's a, a folk tale, I guess. Fairy tale. Both. <laughs> is there a difference between folk tales and fairy tales? The language that you're talking in. Oh, so if it's German, it's Volktale? Um, in German, it is Märchen, as usually translated into English, folktale. The French, Conte de Fées, is usually mm. translated as stories of fairies. Um, but versions of Cinderella appear as both. Mm. So in English, when we say fairy tales, we mean stuff like this. But when we say folk tales, we sometimes also mean a wider category, for instance, creation myths by indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not exactly a creation myth, but there is a kind of fairy or witch or something in here. So and, and, and somebody's bewitched, I think. Yeah. Uh, in English, we would certainly call this a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should say that the the most significant theoretical work on how these things come down and are constructed is a book by a Russian named Vladimir Prop, which is called, in English, The Morphology of the Folktale, because the Russian word translates as folktale rather than fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And when you ask what's the difference, um, one of the crucial differences is whether or not we believe that the story is in fact oral or we believe that it is scribal. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to tell that this is a story that is not just the transcription of an oral tale, but in fact is a scribal work. Mm. Hans Christian Andersen, you know, is all scribal, right? He, all. He, 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 he wrote those stories. They are like folk tales, but he wrote them. Whereas this has no individual author that we know of, right? Correct. Which is but interesting. Still, right, but we can still see that it's not a true oral tale. <laughs> yeah, there's there are some some messings and and what's funny is I looked at a lot of different versions of this including a a really good uh Shelley Duvall uh fairy tale theater uh TV adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the things that they do for adaptations often is they reduce the cast. So instead of 12 dancing princesses, it's six. Because 12 is a lot of actresses. That's a lot of beds. That's a lot of shoes. It's a lot of dresses. Right. right? Um, and they also give them names, which I think is probably helpful. When, when you read a lot of these... Uh, Brothers Grimm stories, it's, you know, the characters don't have names. There's nobody here with a name. There's the king, there's the uh, a, a prince, there's the princesses, the youngest and the eldest, and there's an old woman, and there's the soldier, or the old soldier. But there is no kingdom named, there's no uh, dog with a name. <laughs> nobody has a name. They're, they're right. sort of generic, and that, that makes me think it is... Um, from the people. It's just about 
you know, uh, but other things in the way things are cut off or changed. Um, I think it's really interesting to look at different variations of it because it sort of puts shadow on stuff that's in the original story or at least stuff that's in the concepts behind the original story. But uh, in order to get to those concepts and such, I think we should have us hear it. And if you will read it for us, that will illuminate many things. I'd love to, but but I I would like to make one theoretical uh, point first, because I think it'll make it easier to listen to what's going on. When Prop talked about the structure of the true oral tale, he noticed that some elements of that structure can be, he, he said, triplicated. Mm-hmm. So you can have a true oral tale in which the hero has a test or a true oral tale in which the hero has to meet three tests. And he usually fails the first two, but he succeeds on the third and gets the goal. It turns out that Prop was right about everything except the triple. Mm. Um, in some cultures, um, East Asian multiplication is duplication and in others south asian and american uh, indian um it's quadruplication so Mm -hmm. if we switch triplication from multiplication uh, props discussion of the elements is is quite clear the reason i'm mentioning it here is this we will hear as we go through this that instead of having one night that the soldier has to go through he goes through three mm-hmm. but he picks up tokens on only two of them not on three right that's a mistake if you're doing an oral tale the eldest princess is called the eldest the youngest princess is called the youngest and all of the other princesses in between function as one princess mm-hmm and uh, that's that's not a place where it's triplication, except, uh, well, and we'll see why. All right? So mm-hmm. I just wanted to have people thinking about multiplication as we go along. The edition we're reading it from is uh, translated by Mrs. Edgar Lucas for a 1909 uh, publication uh, with Arthur Rackham illustrations. And if you go to the website, you can see what Eric is reading from. The Twelve Dancing Princesses There was once a king who had twelve daughters, each more beautiful than the other. They slept together in a hall where their beds stood close to one another, and at night, when they had gone to bed, the king locked the door and bolted it. When he unlocked it in the morning, he noticed that their shoes had been danced to pieces, and nobody could explain how it happened. So the king sent out a proclamation saying that anyone who could discover where the princesses did their night's dancing should choose one of them to be his wife and should reign after his death. But whoever presented himself and failed to make the discovery after three days and nights was to forfeit his life. A prince soon presented himself and offered to take the risk. He was well received and at night was taken into a room adjoining the hall where the princesses slept. His bed was made up there, and he was to watch and see where they went to dance. So that they could not do anything or go anywhere else, the door of his room was left open, too. But the eyes of the king's son grew heavy, and he fell asleep. 
When he woke up in the morning, all the twelve had been dancing for their shoes, for the soles of their shoes were full of holes. The second and third evenings passed with the same results, and then the prince found no mercy, and his head was cut off. Many others came after him and offered to take the risk, but they all had to lose their lives. Now it happened that a poor soldier who had been wounded and could no longer serve found himself on the road to that town where the king lived. There he fell in with an old woman who asked him where he intended to go. I really don't know myself, he said, and added in fun. I should like to discover where the king's daughters danced their shoes into holes, and after that, to become a king. That's not so difficult, said the old woman. You must not drink the wine which will be brought to you in the evening, but must pretend to be fast asleep. Whereupon she gave him a short cloak, saying, When you wear this, you will be invisible, and then you can slip out after the twelve princesses. So soon as the soldier heard this good advice, he took it up seriously, plucked up courage, appeared before the king, and offered himself as suitor. He was as well received as the others and was dressed in royal garments. In the evening, when the bedtime came, he was conducted to the anteroom. As he was about to go to bed, the eldest princess appeared, bringing him a cup of wine. But he had fastened a sponge under his chin and let the wine run down into it so that he did not drink one drop. Then he lay down, and when he had been quiet a little while, he began to snore as though in the deepest sleep. The twelve princesses heard him and laughed. The eldest said, He, too, must forfeit his life. Then they got up, opened cupboards, chests, and cases, and brought out their beautiful dresses. They decked themselves before the glass, skipping about and reveling in the prospect of the dance. Only the youngest sister said, I don't know what it is. You may rejoice, but I feel so strange. A misfortune is certainly hanging over us. You are a little ghost, answered the eldest. You are always frightened. Have you forgotten how many princesses have come? Have you forgotten how many princes have come here in vain? Why, I need not have given the soldier a sleeping draft at all. The blockhead would never have awakened. When they were all ready, they looked at the soldier, but his eyes were shut and he did not stir. So they thought they would soon be safe. Then the eldest went up to one of the beds and knocked on it. It sank into the earth and they descended through the opening one after another the eldest first. The soldier, who had noticed everything, did not hesitate long, but threw on his cloak and went down behind the youngest. Halfway down, he trod on her dress. She was frightened and said, what was that? Who is holding on to my dress? Don't be so foolish. You must have caught on a nail, said the eldest. Then they went right down, and when they got underground, they stood in a marvelously beautiful avenue of trees. All the leaves were silver and glittered and shone. The soldier thought, I must take away some token with me. And as he broke off a twig, a sharp crack came from the tree. The youngest cried out, all is not well. Did you hear that? Those are triumphal salutes because we shall soon have released our princes, said the eldest. Next, they came to an avenue where all the leaves were of gold and at last into a third where they were of shining diamonds. From both these, he broke a twig, and there was a crack each time, which made the youngest princess start with terror. But the eldest maintained that the sounds were only triumphal salutes. They went on faster and came to a great lake, 
close to the bank lay 12 little boats, and in every boat sat a handsome prince. They had expected the 12 princesses, and each took one with him, but the soldier seated himself by the youngest. Then said the prince, I don't know why, but the boat is much heavier today, and I am obliged to row with all my strength to get it going. I wonder why it is, said the youngest, unless perhaps it is the hot weather. It is strangely hot. On the opposite side of the lake stood a splendid, brightly lighted castle from which came the sound of the joyous music of trumpets and drums. They rode across and every prince danced with his love and the soldier danced too, unseen. If one of the princesses held a cup of wine, he drank out of it so that it was empty when she lifted it to her lips. This frightened the youngest one, but the eldest always silenced her. They danced till three in the morning when their shoes were danced into holes and they were obliged to stop. The princes took them back across the lake and this time the soldier took his seat beside the eldest. On the bank, they said farewell to the princes and promised to come again the next night. When they got to the steps, the soldier ran on ahead, lay down in bed and when the 12 came lagging by, slowly and wearily, he began to snore again very loud so that they said, we are quite safe as far as he is concerned. Then they took off their beautiful dresses, put them away, placed the worn out shoes under their beds and lay down. The next morning, the soldier determined to say nothing but to see the wonderful doings again. So he went with them the second and third nights. Everything was just the same as the first and they danced each time till their shoes were in holes. But the third time, the soldier took away a wine cup as a token. When the appointed hour came for his answer, he took the three twigs and the cup with him and went before the king. The 12 princesses stood behind the door, listening to what he would say. When the king put the question, where did my daughters dance their shoes to pieces in the night? He answered, with 12 princes in an underground castle. Then he produced the tokens. The king sent for his daughters and asked them whether the soldier had spoken the truth. As they saw that they were betrayed and would gain nothing by lies, they were obliged to admit all. Thereupon, the king asked the soldier which one he would choose as his wife. He answered, I am no longer young. Give me the eldest. So the wedding was celebrated that very day, and the kingdom was promised to him on the king's death. But for every night which the princes had spent in dancing with the princesses, a day was added to their time of enchantment. You see why I wanted to do this as a podcast? There's a lot going on in this story. Indeed, indeed. I I don't know where to begin other than maybe with that last line. I, I have a lot of questions, and I, I think I have a couple of answers I'm going to read that last line again. But for every night which the princes had spent in dancing with the princesses, a day was added to their time of enchantment. I think that there, in their time of enchantment, refers to the princes rather than the princesses. I agree. And that makes me, you know, point back to what the heck is going on. There is an underground kingdom where trees grow underneath the bed of one of the girls in the hall 
and every night they go down there and dance the night away, and then every morning their shoes are worn out. This is a metaphor for something. (laughs) 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 What is this metaphor for? I'm not sure. I want to point out that um, the first time I read this, I read it in a classic comic book adaptation from uh, Classics Illustrated Junior, and it surprised me in reading this version because the prince chose the youngest princess. You mean the soldier? Uh, Yes, you're correct. The soldier chose the youngest princess. And that made me think of why there was the difference. And um, in my researches, I found out that a lot of people have, you know, messed with this story or adapted it and changed it. Uh, One of them, Ellen Kushner, you're probably familiar with her, has a book called The Door in the Hedge, which I I guess is a whole bunch of reworkings of these stories. And in that, in her version of it, the eldest daughter is actually the old woman in disguise or vice versa. And I knew that there's some sort of special relationship between the old woman and what's going on in this story because she gives him a magic cloak (laughs) that turns him invisible. I can imagine, you know, that that magic cloak is a princess dress <laughs> and that there's just so many princess sisters that they don't notice another one <laughs> walking down there with them. But really, that's not what it is. It's a magic cloak. It's a, a an invisibility cloak. So she's some sort of fairy or witch or something. And uh, my other interpretation of what she is, is she's the mother the missing mother of all these princesses or maybe one of the mothers of all of these princesses. It's a very rich psychologically story. I agree. There are a number of uh, ideological grounds on which this story can be rested. Um, Familial relations, class structure, Mm -hmm economics, gender roles. I think, though, um, this is the same culture that gives rise to Freud. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think it would not be amiss to start by, uh, of all of the different options, to to ask how the sexuality works here. Mm -hmm. The the princesses um, are basically three. There is an older one, there is the middle cohort, and there is the youngest one. Mm-hmm. In Grimm's Tales overall, there are three ages to women. There are those who are beyond reproduction, like the witch in Rapunzel. There are those who are before the age of reproduction, like Rapunzel before she, um, her father, uh, while she's still a child. Mm-hmm. And then there are those who are of reproductive age. They're the valuable ones for this gender um, dichotomous culture. We can look at the eldest princess here, although we're not told it, as in effect being beyond reproductive age. Hmm. Um, She's not worried about what's going to happen. She can do whatever she wants with princes. Mm. And thinking of her that way, she becomes, as it were, uh, an avatar of the old woman who's eager to make sure that eventually she can get married 
you know, that she, she wants this guy to be able to carry forth um, erotism. Women are, uh, are a snare <laughs> in the world of uh, the Grimm brothers. But mm-hmm. the youngest one is, is, is afraid. She doesn't want to break the rules, but she kind of has to follow the older, more experienced one. So we notice that the old woman gives the, uh, the soldier, who is called old, and he is injured. And I think we can think of him, too, as being beyond reproductive age. Uh, not that you know men stop that way, but he's, he's not going to actually be able to produce an heir. The kingdom will revert to the lineage of the king mm. after the soldier is gone because the, the old soldier will marry the eldest princess and they won't have children together, mm-hmm. whereas the other 11 will be able to have children and so there will be male heirs eventually. Um, the, the oldest princess, the experienced one, knows exactly how to find the the land of underground delights, Mm -hmm. the hidden subterranean attraction. She does it by knocking on a bed. Mm -hmm. And when she knocks on a bed, a trap door opens up and down they get to go. The fact that they dance so much that the hole, their, their slippers, which must be quite delicate, have holes in them. And it is that which obliges them to go home. Um, It tells us something about the, potential violence of having some membrane worn through, mm-hmm. right? But they go back. They go back. This guy makes believe he's asleep. He acts in a strange way as if he is both young and old. He acts like an old man. He can't possibly uh, stay awake and watch them. But he also acts like a baby. The wine just dribbles off his chin. Mm. And no one notices. Yeah. Right? Now, when he goes and follows them to the land of underground desire, where each, in fact, is uh, awaited by a handsome prince, uh, they have to cross the water, a constant fertility symbol, they have to cross the water to get to their own castle, not the one approved by the father. Um, he sits down behind the youngest because he is not experienced. He's alone in the world. He's old and injured, but he's alone in the world. Mm. But having been to the dance and having danced himself and having drunk the wine, as an old and injured man, he is now experienced. So he comes back sitting in the boat with the eldest princess. Mm -hmm. If we look at the gender relations here, men clearly, clearly are more powerful than women. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the men, the princes did to be uh, consigned to this limbo, this enchantment. But given that we have an old woman who can produce an invisibility cloak, uh, we might think that men are being punished for being sexual before they're supposed to be sexual with the women. Mm. But the time comes after enough princes have died, and they've died because the princesses have let them die, right? They know that if they can sneak by these guys, their father will behead them. These, these are not just lovely folks. Mm-hmm. The eldest princess is leading them on a homicidal campaign to get together with the men that they prefer. When this is exposed by the, the soldier 
who is in fact no longer um, not too old to serve because he serves the needs of the king. He's able to preserve the chastity thereafter of the princesses. And while he can become a king, he does not take the kingdom away from the king's heirs Mm. because he marries the eldest princess. So women have a kind of magical power in their sexuality, but it is men who rule what's going on. And women accomplish their social goals by working through men. At least it seems to me that's much of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Three ages of women, the upper class and lower class, men versus women, and of course, hidden subterranean desire. Yeah, it's sound like pieces fit. It is very much so. I, I, I love thinking about the the layers of. There's the upper world where the king rules, and he has twelve daughters who he locks in their room every night. Then there's the underworld, where we have magical trees growing underground that are made of silver, gold, and diamond, progressively more expensive. Um, there's a cup in the upper world where the prince is offered wine that's drugged, and there's a cup in the lower world. The soldier. The soldier. I keep calling him the prince because in some adaptations he's the prince, Uh, just another prince. It's very interesting because I think that this uh, more original version where he is a soldier shows the class much better. And also the... The amazing threat that comes with, you know, you may sleep in my daughter's bedroom, but you can only sleep there for three nights. And after three nights, if if you can't answer my question, then we execute you. That it, it's very extreme. It's almost mm-hmm. like a Bluebeard story, and that the the king is somehow testing testing his daughters and the men at the same time. Very very interesting. In any case, um, focusing on the underworld as a mirror of the upper world, there's 12 princes down there. And what do they want to do? They want to dance all night. They pick up these princesses. They cross that water. That's not there for no reason. That's there for some interesting reason. I think of it, it, some adaptations or some versions of the story talk about the, the water being crystal and reflective. Um, I, I think that that's important because that whole underworld is a reflection of the upper world. But for some reason, the princes are treated as if they're in a magical world. So there's a line. This is on our version of page 43. Um, it says, those are triumphal salutes. This is the older sister talking uh, to the youngest. Because we shall soon have released our princes, said the eldest. Released them from what? their bondage, their spell. Um, And then I think about that beginning where we're told that uh, many princes tried and they were all executed. Then one day the soldier comes. How many princes was it? Was it 12? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to think about how this all came to be. This this dream world, you, you were calling it the land of uh, underground sexual desire or something like that. Um, I think of it as like a mirror dream. These are dream princes, right? They will dance all night. Um, and yet, 
when the when the young soldier or the old soldier comes to the dance, he's not dancing with a partner. He's dancing invisibly, I guess. And it says, if one of the princes princesses held a cup of wine, he drank out of it so that it was empty when she lifted it to her lips. This frightened the youngest one, but the eldest always silenced her. That is extremely interesting. Why is he drinking the the underground wine, but not the above ground wine? Why is he? Why is the eldest not saying it's a big deal to have nothing in your cup once you've had a full cup in your hand? I think this works. I hope you don't mind my saying this, Jesse. I think this works exactly with the. Uh, the interpretation that I was offering, mm-hmm. which I don't mean to say is the exclusive interpretation, but it's an interpretation. Uh, the eldest is the only one who doesn't mind having her cup emptied because the 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 drinking of the wine, as for example, um, the sharing of cake or the drink, the breaking of the wine glass at a Jewish wedding. Um, the, the the wine is a symbol of the potential fertility, mm-hmm. the relations between each princess and her prince. But the eldest princess is now beyond that, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter to her um, whether there is wine in there or not. So she just says, "Let's we can forget this, we can dismiss it." So what we have here is um, the cause for I think the enchantment. These princes have. Somehow or other, either if they exist, they've made sexual advances or romantic advances to the princesses, or if they don't exist, they exist in the minds of the princesses mm-hmm. who want to be able to uh, to have men of their own. The eldest princess is beyond having this in the full grim way, that is grim brother's way mm-hmm. of having children, uh, bearing fruit herself. Uh, but the others are not. And so when we ask why were they enchanted, um, well, they were enchanted, perhaps, by a witch who says, no, you have to wait. Mm. You have to wait. Right? It's just, it's not time yet. You can't do it. And if you weren't willing to wait for every day that you weren't willing to wait, I'm adding another day that you will have to wait. Mm. Those, those slippers are danced until they're holes in Somehow or other, the servants in the castle don't seem to notice <laughs> this, and yet they replace them with new dancing slippers every day. Mm-hmm. So the slippers are not so much real slippers as metaphoric slippers. Why is it that the princesses have to leave at 3 a.m., mm. dark night of the soul? Mm. Uh, you will de- denounce me three times ere the cock crows, right? Why is it the princes have to leave, princesses have to leave after they have worn their dancer slippers into holes because the next step, and I mean that word intentionally, the next step after you have worn away the fabric that protects you during dancing with a man is being with the man. Mm-hmm. And so when their shoes get to that point, they know they have to leave. Mm-hmm. And they do. But at that point, the old soldier thinks, uh, not the young one, they're still chased, but the old one, she doesn't care about what wine is being drunk out of her cup. I won't be hurting anything by sitting with her. 
I won't be violating the fundamental social order. He goes back, and we see the result. Mm. There's um, that the three. Sometimes it's three groves rather than three avenues of trees. The first silver, the second gold, the third diamonds. The cup is a token that he takes away from the enchanted kingdom underground. Um, I, I can't. I can't say that this isn't a symbol. It is a symbol. Of course. Of course. And given how the Grimms rewrote the materials that came to them, uh, we can't help but think of this as uh, the, the, the wine, the consumption of which would grant eternal life. Mm. Right? It's, it's like the Mass. Mm. But in this case, of course, the eternal life is that through reproduction. And they had children, and their children had mm. children, and mm. so on. Yep. But the king knows when it's licit and illicit. I mean, in the same 19th century Christianity in which the wine is sacramental, romantic relations are chased only within marriage. And it, it, it's also interesting to think that the other tokens, the three other tokens, are not the leaves. And in some adaptations, the, it is the, the silver leaf, the golden leaf, and the diamond leaf, but the diamond twig, a twig is a piece of wood. It, it's very sexual. I, I was thinking like how it was presented, and, and when I was reading this the first time in this, ad, this, this translation, I realized, oh, it, I, I was anticipating that there would be nine uh, twigs in that cup, but there's only the three. And Indeed. I, I notice I'm putting them in the cup. <laughs> it doesn't say that they're in the cup, but that's where I'm putting them in my mind. I understand. Right? Sure. And but you see, the fact that these things don't work out exactly as the cultural norms would, mm -hmm. suspect, would suggest is another sign that these are scribal stories. Yes. Uh, having, been, been uh, having been written down, choices are made, right? And yes. and the brothers Grimm are not only curating and placing them in the order that they think they are; they're also choosing the words because they're they go around collect these stories. And I don't think they're doing transcriptions exactly. I think they're well. Histo historically, they didn't do that at all. They mm -hmm. sent their graduate students out right. to do it, um, and then Jacob collated the stories that they got and presented sort of homogenized text to Wilhelm to, uh, to make into a nice-sounding story. Mm -hmm. But we also know historically that many of the stories they supposedly collected weren't just tales that their graduate students found by talking to, to farm wives uh, in the neighborhood um, of Hanau in Germany, but in fact um, were in their own library. Mm. There are Grimm Brothers stories that are retellings mm -hmm. of Italian folk tales, for example. Or they were in the library of some of their neighbors. One mm -hmm. woman in particular was quite influential. But they did something here. They That idea of finding this sort of fundamental story and then writing it in a way that it could really grab us, mm. that exploded um, 
onto the literary scene in Europe in the 18 teens mm -hmm. and uh, has never gone away since. So this is a story that, as you said when we began, you can read in different versions and with slight differences, like, for instance, if the, if the soldier had come back with the youngest princess, mm -hmm. then, in fact, we could imagine that his son would take over the kingdom at his death and the old king would have lost the control in his lineage of the kingdom because he had, in fact, hypersexed daughters. Mm -hmm. um, if, in fact, it were a prince, not an old soldier, who played that role, we would be confirming the, the class structure, whereas this way we are showing at least some challenge to the class structure. The fundamental skeleton is here. The Grimm's make choices. Their so-called translators make choices. In interpreting it, we make choices. Mm -hmm. Because with a good enough story like this, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.